Grace Point. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Can we welcome our Grace Point family on YouTube? Can we make sure they know? Yeah. Thrilled uh, that you're all with us, whether you're in the room or whether you're online, we're so thrilled you're here. Um, thank you. So before we jump in today, there's just a few things uh, I'd like to cover. Um, two of them, uh, well, I'll just, the, the, I'll say this up front. The third one is, is, is fun. <laughs> so the first two. Um, first, you know, we, yesterday was the five-year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shootings, where 49 beloved image bearers of God were murdered. And so today, I just thought we should take a minute and just acknowledge and remember and, and grieve, but also acknowledge that in five years, we really haven't done the hard work we need to do to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen anymore, right? We're, we still aren't living in an equitable and just society. We, we haven't enacted even basic gun reform that would prevent things like that from happening. And so it, it's incumbent on us as human beings, as people with voices, um, that, that work is still in front of us. Um, that work of building equity in our country, that work of saying, you know, we, we invented guns. We can do something about this. We can change laws. We can make things different so that people don't have to, whether it's a movie theater, or a nightclub, or anywhere they go, they don't have to live with this sense of fear and dread all the time. So that, we just have to do something. Uh, you know, our, our friend Brian McLaren wrote a book called Everything Must Change, but it feels like the... the more time goes by, the more I feel that sense of everything must change. The second thing is, um, so I mentioned last week that I, I grew up Southern Baptist, um, and it just so happens that the Southern Baptist Convention, um, they're going to be in town this week for their annual meeting, and they're going to be talking about a lot of important stuff, and I'm afraid they're going to end up on the wrong side of every bit of it. And so as a former Baptist, and I, I told them at 9 o'clock that if it weren't for Southern Baptists, I wouldn't be in this room now. Because they listened to me preach, preach really bad sermons when I was 17. So you could listen to me pre preach maybe not as bad, but still somewhat bad sermons at almost 40. And so I, I come to this as not as an enemy of theirs. And I'm not assuming any of you are going to be messengers at the convention. But I just felt like this is a thing we should name. And that is that our brothers and sisters in the Southern Baptist Convention, um, they're going to be gathering to talk about things like systemic racism, which they are continuing to want to like punt on and, and not address and almost want to act like it doesn't exist. And I've read, I've read a lot of stuff in the last week. And one of the things that they're saying is all you need is the gospel to correct this. And I guess I would say I would agree depending on what you mean by gospel. By gospel, do you mean going to heaven when you die, that thing you do? Or by gospel, do you mean part of Jesus' gospel, which was setting the oppressed free? If that's what you mean by gospel, we need gospel in this country because we have a systemic racism problem in this country that is not going to go away on its own. And our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters are also dealing with issues around abuse and some of the top leadership, instead of wanting to confront these things head on or wanting to rally around one another, support one another. And I would just beg and plead for them to do the right thing around this, do the transparent thing around this. And of course, uh, the way Southern Baptists have historically tried to silence and dehumanize women. Um, I mean, I, I, my, my longing and hope is for a, a Southern Baptist Convention that fully recognizes and affirms the beauty of the LGBTQ plus community. But right now we can't get them to fully affirm and recognize the beauty in women in leadership and women having the microphone and women preaching. Um, and so my hope and prayer for them is, as a, as a friend, as a, as a brother, 
um, is that this week that, um, that they would actually listen to the Spirit, that they would listen to the Spirit as the Spirit moves us along. And I never believe, whatever the Spirit's saying, I never believe it's taking us backwards. I always believe it will take us forwards into more justice, more equity, and more compassion in the world. Does that make sense? And so I don't know if they're going to hear that, but if, you, if you're going to be a messenger there, which would be an interesting situation for you to be in, um, let them know. <laughs> I'm happy to have a conversation. Here's the good news. Uh, one of the things we want to do here is we take seriously, and if you haven't logged on, you want to log on YouTube and say something to our GP family there, please feel free to do that. Um, but we, wanna, we take very seriously um, our, our global community that has formed at Grace Point. And so as a leadership council, one of the things uh, we were talking about last week is that for Nathaniel, who has done a great job managing all that, to also be doing that on Sunday mornings and being able to really do that well, it's a bit of a task. And so we thought one of the things we want to do is show that we want to invest in making that online experience of Grace Point just as good as the in-person experience. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to announce we're, we're hiring somebody as what we're, at the beginning, we're calling our virtual gathering host. Um, and that person, as soon as we decided to do this, the, the first name that came up well, seemed like a no-brainer to us. And if you have been around online at all in the last year and a half, how many of you know the name Corey Dandridge? Does anybody know who Corey is? Yeah. So uh, I'm happy to tell those of you joining us online, Corey Dandridge is going, going to be uh, our virtual gathering host beginning next week. He's going to be uh, acting as Grace Point um, and, and, and hosting you there. And we're so excited to have him on the team. Corey is, he lives in Pennsylvania. Um, we actually got to meet in person um, over the spring and it was just like instant, I've, I've known you for 25 years and I'm so excited to have him. So can we, can we welcome uh, Corey to the team? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, today we're beginning a new series on the Beatitudes, an introduction. Yeah, youth, you can go, sorry. I told Higgins I would not forget that 10 times, and I didn't forget, I just didn't get to it yet. So uh, let's talk about being blessed. I wonder when you hear that word, blessed, what is it that comes to mind? Now, and I'm happy for you to throw some things out. It doesn't have to be what you believe it is. Like you may, the thing that comes to mind may be a thing that you don't even believe it is. But when you hear the word blessed, what is it? Does anyone want to throw something out? What comes to mind? Lucky. Lucky. Okay. Anybody else? Chosen. Chosen. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Curse. Way to take us down a path. Uh, <laughs> I did ask. I did ask. Anybody else? What? Privileged? What else? Peace. Anointed. All right. Anybody else? Mm. We're going to, you just preached some of the sermon. We're going to come back to that now. That's, yeah. Here's a couple things I wrote down. Um, when I think about blessed, often the word favored pops up. Um, fortunate, lucky, happy. Uh, somebody who's well, somebody who's blessed is somebody who's well off, right? And there's almost, now there is a time we use the word blessed in the South that doesn't carry those connotations. And that is when we say to somebody, bless your heart. 
you knew where that was going before I even said it. How many of you have ever been on the giving end of a bless your heart? Okay, let's be a little more honest. How many of you have ever been on the giving end of a bless your heart and you weren't talking about blessing? Okay. How many of you have been on the receiving end of a bless your heart? See what you've done to these people? Right. So outside of blessing someone's heart, which actually doesn't mean bless their heart, um, when I think about blessing, it's almost like there's this divine component to it, right? If you're blessed, it's because somebody somewhere did a thing, you somehow got their attention, you lived right, you did a good thing, you worked hard, and now the result of that is that whatever this being, called this being God, whatever, is now showering you with all sorts of rewards for your good behavior. And this pops up everywhere. This idea of blessing is everywhere. I was in a boutique in Bardstown, Kentucky this past week, and I ran upon this. I'm walking by, and I, I immediately I'm like, I'm in preacher mode. I'm going to stop and take a picture of this. And I, I think the, the person behind the cash register maybe thought I was just taking a picture so I could go home and make it cheaper, not $450 or whatever that was going to cost me, right? But I, I remember I just walked by, it and I was like, interesting. I wonder, I would love to sit down with the person that made that and say, what actually do you mean by blessed? But generally, when we think about blessing, we think about things that are going pretty well. We think about people who have done it. We, we may summarize it like this. Blessed are the rich, right? And often when somebody's done really well, like I, I bet if you talk to some CEOs who are multi-billionaires, and some of them would probably say, you know, what can I say? I'm just blessed. The successful, the upwardly mobile, the people who are really happy, who live a charmed life, it just seems like everything they touch turns to gold. People who are joyful all the time, people who are full and satisfied, those who are loved, celebrated, and spoken well of. Like, when you think about blessing, I mean, you probably think about that sort of thing, right? Like, it's going pretty well. But do we ever think about the opposite side of that blessing coin? And, and what does it mean when we make the assumption that to be really well off is blessed? What does that mean if you're not really well off? And if everything, if you're joyful and happy all the time, but what about people who are experiencing deep pain and grief? Like, it, it, yeah, yeah, I mean, how many of us have ever been at a Thanksgiving table and you, you push away after you've just violated so many different commandments? You push away from the table and your response is, whew, we really are blessed, right? But what about people who have no food on the table? What would we say to them? And I think that when we dive into these beatitudes, which are just, uh, it's a Latin word for blessings, I think we have to attune ourselves to that. What does Jesus mean when Jesus uses the word blessed? What is he trying to say to us? And so before we, I wanna jump in with the last part of chapter four. Before we do that, just give you a little context. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God, which if for, if you grew up in church and you've grown up around that language, it makes total sense. But if not, if you didn't grow up around church language and if you aren't growing up and living your life in like a, a fiefdom in the Middle Ages, that may sound like a weird word. Um, essentially, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven in Matthew is a way of saying, what would the world look like if God got God's will done? What would the world look like if God's dream for how things would be, a world of justice and peace and equity, equity, a world of compassion and love and goodness, what would that world look like? And Jesus talks about it. The kingdom of God is like, and he begins to describe what that kingdom looks like. 
Now, I'm going to throw a couple other words today that I think are, are analogous to that word, kingdom. One of them is the word commonwealth. I think we can use that interchangeably, the commonwealth of God. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And we, I think we can also use the word kingdom. Drop the G. Kingdom, right? The, the relationship, the web of relationship that makes up this thing that God is doing in the world. Grace Point is a part of the kingdom of God. You and I are part of the kingdom of God. So listen, to, this is the context, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Matthew 4, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus is going around performing signs, and as he does so, he's picking up an audience, People are following him everywhere. Now, what's important to think about, um, and I have so read the Bible through sort of a lens of, of American privilege my entire life that I never ask certain questions. Like, why is it that a bunch of people can just drop everything and follow Jesus everywhere he goes? Like, did they just have paid sick time? Like, what, what is actually happening that they can just be like, oh, this is a thing, let's go check it out. And I think you're probably putting it together, right? They can do this because a vast majority of the people, a vast majority of the people following Jesus are people who are economically disadvantaged. They're people who would fall under the line of the poor, the impoverished, those who really would have been praying, give us today our daily bread, not in some sort of metaphorical, theological, spiritual sense, but in a sense of we really, we can't worry about getting bread tomorrow. We don't know if we're eating today, right? So I think that we have to understand that the people Jesus is about to teach are people who have had the, not only the boot of empire, but the boot of an unjust economic system on their necks their entire lives. And so they have the time to follow Jesus because they have no family land. They lost that, right? They, they, they aren't working a trade. Um, they are, they are, they're just around, and they're going to go see what's happening in the wilderness. And when Jesus, in chapter five, Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain and he sat down with his, and his disciples came to him. So this mountain thing, um, there, there's a wink and a nudge to uh, the story of Moses and how Moses goes up on the Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, to, to receive the law. He sees the crowds, he sits down and he began to speak and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. For the, hey, let's do this together, shall we? How about together, we'll all say the blessed part together and I'll read the second part, okay? So each beatitude, we're gonna go through them all. So together we'll say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be com comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I understand it's really important when you're going to give a sermon or any kind of public speech or lecture. You want to begin really with a hook of some sort, right? And Jesus begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Is that really how you begin? 
mean, how do you imagine that his first hearers heard this? The majority of whom are, when Luke records this, Luke drops the in spirit just to make sure we don't over-spiritualize it. Luke says, blessed are the poor. How do you think the poor who heard Jesus' words would have interpreted that? Is he joking? Is he, is he making light of our experience of the world? We're blessed? Now imagine being sort of a fly on the wall, somebody who is rich, somebody who is part of the ruling class, somebody who is a mover and shaker, somebody in charge of what's happening to all these folks who are listening to Jesus. When you hear, blessed are the poor, what do you think? Is this a stand-up routine? Is this guy, is this guy launching something? What is, what is happening here? Because when we hear blessed, we do not jump to poor in spirit. When we hear blessed, I bet we jump to rich. We don't hear those who mourn. We hear those who celebrate and enjoy life. I love what Frederick Del Bruner says when he defines this word blessing. He says, Jesus' blessings on means most compactly, I am with you. I am on your side. And that makes sense, right? When we think about somebody who's done really well and we say, man, they're blessed, what are we ultimately saying? That they've got divine favor, that God is somehow with them in a way God's not with all these other folks. Or, has anybody ever been in a situation where you went by a, a police car that was hidden that you didn't see and you were going way over the speed limit uh, and they pulled out but they got the person behind you? Has that ever happened to anybody? And you're, you're blessed, right? Like, gosh, I'm really, really blessed. Worked out for me, not sure about the other folks. That's their problem. They shouldn't have been speeding to begin with, right? Like, you just keep going down the road at your, your current rate, right? When we think about blessing, we tend to think about it going well. We're charmed, we're fortunate. It's all, it's all aces. It's all going in our direction. And when Jesus launches, he launches by saying, those of you who are poor in spirit, God is with you. God is on your side. Those of you who are mourning, God is with you. God is on your side. So maybe before we jump into what Jesus is saying to the poor in spirit, maybe we should do a, a little bit of what the attitudes maybe aren't. Because that may be helpful. Because I, we have these things in our brains that have been have built up over the years. The Beatitudes aren't an advantageous situation to pursue. Has anybody ever been taught to approach them of like, these are the things you need to be to be blessed by God. So if you want to be blessed, then you've got to become poor in spirit. Right? Do you want to be blessed? Well, you've got to go. Like, maybe you woke up today thinking, I'm way too joyful. I need to find something to mourn because I want God to bless me. Right? And I think there's this misnomer. No, 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 no. These aren't situations to pursue. These aren't things we're being commanded to become. It's not a status to achieve. It's not something you would change on Facebook to, Josh is feeling poor in spirit today, right? It's not a hoop to jump through. It's not one more set. I mean, does anybody else feel that with religion so much that like they, they, sort, of, they sort of say, it's, it's, it's almost like this. Did anybody else in the late 80s, early 90s ever get sucked into sort of the BMG Columbia House situation where they're like, we're gonna give you 12 CDs for a penny. And then you have to buy 12 more at $400,000 a piece. Anybody, now if, if you're like, what's a CD? We need to have a far deeper conversation, okay? But that, that sort of, that's sort of the, the way we've been given religion is, it's all totally a free gift. And here's the 1,500 things you have to do to take advantage of the free gift, right? There's this bait and switch. The Beatitudes are not a bait and switch. It's not 
do, these are new things you have to now jump through in order to somehow get God on your side or to get God to, to love you. It's not a conditional, this to the point over here, it's not a conditional or transactional relationship. It is not saying, if you want God to do X, then you have to do Y. And if you'll just do A, B, and C, then God will fill in all the rest. It's not a conditional relationship. It's not us sort of bargaining with God to try to get God to do the things we want. Well, I, I'm poor in spirit today, so give me the kingdom, right? Like, it's not actually what's happening. We can, I think we can say the Beatitudes are uh, this. The Beatitudes are counterintuitive announcements of God's witness. They aren't creating conditions for God to be with somebody. They are announcing to people who are in these situations, God is already with you. You're poor in spirit, God's already with you. You're mourning, God is already with you. This is not a thing you have to become to get God to be with. God is already with you. There are pronouncements that God is on the side of those who aren't traditionally seen as blessed. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. God is with the poor in spirit. God is on their side. And part of the reason I think they're fantastic, they're just religiously incorrect in so many ways. It's not the established religion message, the, the, the message of the religious establishment. It is counterintuitive, and we'll see that a bit more as we go. So let's think about blessed are the poor in spirit. If this is not a how-to, how to get blessed, become poor in spirit. If this is, and sometimes this gets translated in some translations as blessed are those who know how much they need God, right? But that seems like a thing you have to become, right? Well, why are you so blessed? Well, I was, from a very young age, I was told that I was completely and totally depraved and there was nothing good or lovable in me. <laughs> Aren't I blessed? Right? Like, come on, it's not that. It's not this thing, oh, I'm, I'm now I'm aware of how much I need God, so I'm blessed. It's, no, no, no. You, right now, if you're poor in spirit, God is with you now. And so let's think about what that may be. And one of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible has a slow burn to it. The Bible, this may have been heard one way, but what happens over the generations is we compound and add meaning. And I think that when Jesus said that uh, he didn't come to abolish but to fulfill, I think part of what he's saying is, I've come to fill up with meaning. And I think that's what we do every time we talk about the Bible. We're adding layers of depth and meaning. And sometimes we're taking away meanings that have been destructive and painful and cause trauma and heartache. Sometimes we're adding layers. So I'm not gonna tell you what they mean, um, as if that's above my pay grade. But what I am gonna suggest are a few things I think it could mean, and I bet you'll come up with some on your own. So let's begin with this. I think this statement, poor in spirit, before we jump into over-spiritualizing it, I think that this story is talking about those who are poor, whose spirits have been crushed by economic injustice. And Jesus' announcement to people who are poor, whose spirits have been crushed by economic injustice, his announcement is not if you just work harder. His announcement is, God is with you and the very commonwealth of God belongs to you. If you think about Jesus' movement, so many of his stories come back to economics, specifically the injustice of the economic system in his day. Aren't you glad in 2,000 years we no longer have to worry about this? The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? And in Jesus' teaching, there are these beautiful moments pop up. Like, for example, he's got a group of 5,000 plus people who followed him out into the middle of nowhere, and they're all hungry. And what does he say to his disciples? They say, let's send them away. And he says, 
where are we going to send them? It's too far to walk back, and they don't have any money anyway. You feed them. And we could get into lots of debates about metaphysics and miracles and all that stuff. Maybe the simple meaning of a story like that is if we all sit down and open up our baskets and everybody shares, nobody has to go hungry. Nobody has to leave the community not having their basic needs met. This was so powerfully true within the first Christian community. If you read in the book of Acts, one of the beautiful statements is that they testified so powerfully to Jesus that there were no needing persons among them because nobody else would stand for it. The idea in a community like this, idea in a country like this, that somebody would go to bed hungry, it's sinful. Right? That in a land of blessing and opportunity, that there are those who cannot have their basic needs met. I think about this every time I watch a, a, some sort of, like there's a food challenge. You know what I mean? Like when we're, we're trying, like who can eat the most hot dogs in an hour? And we literally have people starving to death. I mean, my God, have, have, have mercy on us. Because uh, I had a, a conversation with a friend right after the nine o'clock and he brought up this great point. The reality is if the poor in spirit aren't inheriting the kingdom, it means that everybody in the community, we're not doing our job. Right? If the poor in spirit don't feel blessed, if they don't feel like God is with them, if they don't feel like the commonwealth is theirs, if they don't feel like enoughness is theirs, if they can't sense God's withness through our withness, then we're doing something wrong. And that one of the missions from the earliest days of the Christian movement was to take care of those, to provide for those, to bring sustaining nourishment to those who could not have it on their own without any debate or question about how they, got, how they got there, why they got, blah, blah, blah. Jesus just said to his disciples, you feed them. And I think there's something about this beatitude that is an announcement that in a community like this, there should be no hungry people. There should be no hungry people. Second, I think that it's saying something to those whose spirit has been crushed by exclusion. When I say on a daily basis, I'm not exaggerating. I get emails on a daily basis that are from people who are about to start sharing their doubts and questions with people in their church leadership. Often it's pastors or, or worship leaders who have, have gone through a deconstruction and unraveling and they're beginning to ask questions and they can no longer keep it silent. And when they begin, and some of you in this room, you know this like deep in your body, when you begin to say things, when you begin to share your doubts, when you begin to share your questions, when you begin to speak them out, sometimes that is not met with enthusiasm. Sometimes that is met with you being told, if you can't stuff those questions, usually it's this, you can totally ask whatever question you want as long as you accept our answer to it. But the minute our answers don't work for you, you're out, you're out. So many grace pointers. You're, you're people who are stopping in here. You don't, wanna, you don't wanna abandon ship, but you don't know how much longer you can do this. The pain, the hurt, the trauma has been too great. And you know what it's like to have your spirit crushed when you have a curiosity that you believe is being fed and led along by the spirit and suddenly somebody's telling you that's not the spirit, that's just because you're not believing enough, believing correctly, doing the right thing. And the reality is they're crushing you with that. And Jesus says to you, the kingdom, the kingdom belonging is yours. 
that whether or not your, your church community has accepted you and embraced you in all of your complexity, God has. And you ought to keep looking until you find somebody in a community that actually will. At the end of, of uh, y'all, y'all okay over there? Thumbs up? Okay, they're good. Um, I thought there was like, it sounded like a bird back there. And I was like, is there like a flapping of wings? Is the spirit, he, is the spirit descended in the form like a dove? I talk to people all the time too who when they have become honest about who they are, about who they love, that they have been completely rejected. Their spirits have been crushed by the religious community. The place where it should have been the safest for them to say, this is who God made me to be. This is how I embody the image of God. This morning I met somebody for the first time who came up after the service and said something along the lines of, for decades I have gone to a religious denomination that has continually told me that how God made me is broken and sinful. And I need a place like this where I can begin to unwind that and begin to hear another story about me. And it gave me such joy to lean over and say to him, the, the, kin- the kingdom is yours. Because that's what Jesus is talking about to those who have been pushed out and pushed away, and you thought, there's no way I'll even be able to get an elbow up to the table. Jesus is essentially saying, the table is yours. It's all yours. And I think there's something powerful about this message with, of Je- from Jesus of belonging, just as we are, who we are, with our doubts and questions and our full humanity. And so many people on that journey have been beaten up and bruised and traumatized by religion. And Jesus' announcement is the kingdom has been yours the whole time and shame on anybody who ever tells you different. Because the kingdom is yours. And finally, and this may be the most counterintuitive of them all. The poor in spirit are those who can't seem to measure up morally and religiously. The kingdom is theirs. Now, if you were to think about people who would be blessed because of how they engage religiously. I bet we'd say something like this. Blessed are those who have a lot of faith. Blessed are those who really believe deeply. Blessed are those who have a worn out Bible. Right? Blessed are those who, they don't only come to church every Sunday morning, they come, they get here early. And back when, during the pandemic, if they came, if they would have shown up, they showed up on YouTube 15 minutes early, just ready. Blessed are those. Blessed are those who seem to always make the right choice who never muddy it up, who never, who never muck it up, who just kind of get it all right. Blessed are those people. Those are the people God is with. God's happy with those. The people who just generally are really fine, decent, moral, religious people. I don't think we need to be reminded, though, what good, fine, decent, moral, religious people have done over the course of human history. What I actually think is happening in this beatitude, I think Jesus is saying, blessed are those who can't measure up. Blessed are those without an ounce of faith. Blessed are those who oversleep on Sunday morning. Blessed are those who don't oversleep because they had no intention of getting up and going to church in the first place. (laughs) Blessed are those who, if they happen to own a Bible, it's got an inch thick of dust on it. I think Jesus is announcing God's witness with every single human being. I think Jesus is announcing God's witness with those that we might have assumed our entire lives that they're actually on the outside looking in. 
I think Jesus is saying, God's with them too. God's with the people who will never show up, who don't really seek to measure up because they just don't, God is with them too. And I think that is the radical truth behind grace. I grew up, how many of you grew up being told grace was unmerited favor? Anybody? So I at least know some of you in the room were Southern Baptists because that was definitely what we were taught growing up. Grace is unmerited favor. Well, okay, grace, unmerited favor, I've got it. Well, wait a minute. Grace is unmerited favor. You can't do anything to earn it, but you have to pray this prayer. And once you pray the prayer, well, you have to come to Sunday school. And once you go to Sunday school, it's like, well, you need to come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And there's this little thing on Wednesday night. And every Thursday night, we're going to load you up in the church van with bracelets we made in the church basement and send you out to evangelize people you don't even know. And that's going to be awkward. (laughs) Right? It becomes this whole string of things that you're now on the hook for. It's just another hoop. Grace, the way so many people have been given it, is just another hoop, another way to measure up, another way to prove that you're somehow more religious, more righteous, more beloved, more blessed than everybody else. Can we be honest? Has anybody in this room ever taken pride in yourself based on how, compared to other people, you're all right? Anybody ever done that? Like, well, look, I'm not the best Christian in the world, but have you seen them? Really? Uh, and, 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 you know, maybe I'm not the best person in the world, but you know that person over there? Look at what they do. Come on, I'm not that. I'm so much better. It's because grace really stuck with me. It really worked. I'm at church all the time. And I know I get paid to be here, but still, I'm here all the time, <laughs> right? Like, there's this thing that creeps in. Like, we're almost proud of our own religiosity compared to other people. Well, I'm not them. I'm better than them. I've measured up better than them. I love what uh, Bruner says about this. <laughs> He says, the moment we begin to look back and down on those who have not come up as high or has gone as far as we have in dedication, discipline, sensitivity, spirit, or intelligence, that very moment we have become rich in spirit and so fall out of the first beatitude. I think these beatitudes are radical because they announce to every human being, you don't do the church thing, you're not innately religious, you're not, like, you don't care about all that, God is still with you. God is still with you. God is still on your side. God still wills your flourishing. And I'm at a point in my life where human flourishing is my hermeneutic. It's how I interpret everything. Does it lead to human flourishing or does it not lead to human flourishing? And there are lots of approaches to religion that do not lead to human flourishing. But there are approaches like this where Jesus just announces a blank check of blessing from the divine that whoever you are, wherever you are, poor in spirit, you've been crushed by other people, you've been crushed by economic, you've been crushed by the expectation and the judgment of people because you didn't measure up to what they thought you should measure up to. God is with you right where you are. God is on your side. I bet there are those of us in this room who have never been told in our life that God is with us, that we've never been told in our lives that God is on our side. Not when we measure up, not when we get it all right, not when we believe enough, memorize enough scripture, do enough things. None of that matters. God is on your side right here, right now, because you're breathing and because you have a pulse. God is on your side. And for me, in this beatitude, Jesus embodies the God of the unexpected. Right? God doesn't approach us the way so many of us have been taught and trained that he will, that she will. 
distant, right? Angry, disapproving, full of shame. In actuality, for so many people, the, the grace they're given is just shame repackaged. And you and I don't need shame. We need grace. Actual, honest to God, unmerited, that you don't have to, you don't have to show up early, you don't have to get in line, it is yours. And Jesus comes to us and embodies the God of the unexpected, the God who, I mean, would you, this is not how we begin the Beatitudes, right? I mean, you, you, I think you want to schmooze people on this one, so you get donations up. And Jesus doesn't schmooze. He goes to the people who have been left out, crushed, forgotten, shamed, and he says to them, the commonwealth is yours, the kingdom is yours, God's kingdom belongs to you. Whoever you are, whatever your journey has been, whatever the narrative that you've been told about you and your journey, God is with you. Not because you're here. God would be with you if you were here on Saturday night and not Sunday morning. God is with you. God is on your side. Not because you've somehow done a good job and lived a good, moral, pure life. God is on your side because that's what God does for God's kids. It's one of those things that I, I, I love my kids. Some days, it's tough, right? Some days, you know, we'll have a conversation about how, oh, they're so difficult. Did you see what this one did? Did you see what that did? Anybody else steps up, says something about my kid, I'm going to turn into a honey badger, right? Because that's my kid. And I deeply believe God feels deeply protective, deeply invested, and deeply in love with the totality of your humanity. Not when you push part of it aside so you can be a good, no, no, no. God is with you right here, right now. The kingdom is yours. Not when you'll get everything right, right here, right now. Are you with me? Let's pray. God, for those of us in this room who are struggling, we would find ourselves in this beatitude category of poor in spirit. Maybe for the reasons mentioned, maybe for some that are just only known to us. And today, Jesus has announced God's witness that God, right here, right now, not later, not when we've done some things differently, not when we've made some changes, but right here, right now, God is with us. That there is no circumstance, there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. That it is ours by virtue of our existence. So for those of us who need the comfort today of knowing that the kingdom is ours, the commonwealth is ours, the kingdom of God is ours, we belong. We're embraced fully. May we hear that today. May we trust that the kingdom really can be, really is ours. We're grateful. 
In Jesus' name.